Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Professor Raymond Gillespie of NUI Maynooth. His paper was entitled, For the Honour of the City, the Town Hall in Early Modern Ireland. Now, however um, you want to interpret the detail uh, that followed the end of the Nine Years' War in 1603, uh, I think we can all agree on the very broad outlines of the changes. Uh, The end of the war brought a significant increase in the power and authority of the Dublin administration, uh, not only over its traditional area of extent, but of Ireland as a whole. Uh, and follow the, um, uh, following the development of political authority uh, across the island, uh, there was a uh, whole series of other interlinked developments, spread of common law, commercialisation, uh, rise of literacy, uh, reshaping of social relationships uh, within the whole island. Now, not all these changes were uh, actively promoted or even inspired uh, by government, uh, but some certainly were. And one of the ones that certainly was, was the growth of towns. Uh, And towns uh, which spread rapidly in the years uh, after 1603 were made possible uh, by a whole series of things, not least the commercialisation and the increased mercantile activity, uh, which followed the expansion of royal authority uh, over Ireland. Um, Towns, however, had functions other than economic ones, and uh, the one I want uh, to talk about here uh, primarily is towns uh, as local centres from which royal authority could proceed uh, and within which local society could be governed. Uh, Now, uh, thus the growth of the state uh, after 1603 and the rise of of towns uh, was very closely linked, and they each depended uh, on each other. Now, this meant that while towns certainly had an economic function, uh, and indeed a social and cultural function, um, they also had a political one. Uh, and to carry that political function out, uh, they required a particular set of very of social arrangements and local rules uh, under which they could operate. Now, these traditionally had been formulated in the form of a charter, uh, which provided a corporate, a corporate existence for a whole series of towns, uh, regulated their relationship with the state, and provided a means of local government. By 1700, uh, Ireland had some 117 uh, corporate towns. 39 of these would claim a medieval origin, uh, a charter of medieval origin, um, but uh, uh, some of those were decidedly dubious. Uh, most, however, uh, were mo- more recent. Some, uh, such as Belfast, Dublin, Cork or Galway, were large, economically successful places, while others, such as St Johnson in Donegal, or Harristown in Kildare, or Banno in Wexford, were of very limited economic significance, uh, but retained political importance uh, because of their ability to return MPs to the Irish Parliament. Now, all, regardless of whether they succeeded or failed economically, had one very important characteristic. That is, they had a corporate status made clear by a charter. 
the, uh, in a society where the normal social bonds of kinship and patronage uh, and indeed religious sociability uh, had been fractured by migration, uh, a sense, a corporate sense, was an important way of organising local societies, uh, of providing a local identity for people who in other contexts find it difficult to define themselves. Thus, uh, towns uh, in this context were very keen uh, to display and protect their corporate status. And they did this uh, in all sorts of ways. Um, uh, for example, uh, uh, they acquired the trappings uh, of a corporate status, uh, civic silver. They acquired uh, charters, uh, copies of their charters, not small, mean documents, but highly decorated uh, 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 items. Uh, but most of all, uh, what they acquired was a building uh, to demonstrate uh, their corporate existence separate from the world around them. And that building was, of course, the town hall. And there's a very close connection uh, between charters and the granting of charters and the creation of corporate status and the building of town halls. I mean, it's uh, no accident, I think, that in the case of Kilkenny, uh, the granting of new charter in 1574 was followed fairly smartly by the building of a new Thoso, uh, which was in place uh, by 1579. Or at least John Bradley dates it as early as 1579. Now, uh, uh, I would like to talk a little bit about this process and as you will see, town halls will not be, I hope, an end in themselves, but rather they will be a way in to the ways in which people in the uh, 16th and 17th centuries uh, thought of organising themselves. And I think we can divide uh, those town halls which are constructed uh, in the early modern period uh, into three very large groups. The first uh, being uh, those towns, those town halls that belong to towns uh, which existed uh, before uh, 1600, shall we say, uh, which claimed uh, medieval uh, corporate status, uh, some 39 of them, I said, as I mentioned. Uh, then a second group, uh, the, a group of newly created towns uh, from about 1600 uh, up to about 1660. Uh, and then secondly, I hope I will argue that those two groups had particular characteristics which converged uh, to form the third group, that is, those town halls uh, which uh, existed uh, in the years after 1660, which are much more homogenous than they had been before. Now, those 39 uh, towns, largely, uh, not exclusively, uh, in the south and east of the country, uh, which claimed their uh, bar, uh, corporate status uh, based on medieval charters, uh, had a very particular view of themselves. Uh, if you read corporate records, they have a very clear language to describe themselves. It's Cork, it's a corporation of Cork, uh, described itself in 1610, for as much as in all commonwealths, the city must be respected. So that the word commonwealth, uh, he's using the word commonwealth here in the sense of the inhabitants of the town. And in Galway, the same phrase, uh, legislation being made for the commonwealth, is used repeatedly right through the 16th and into the early 17th century. That is, they understood themselves as a group, if you like, of interdependent people, of common wheel, people striving for the common wheel, if you like, in one uh, particular uh, uh, place. Uh, 
Uh, what further sharpened this sense of distinctiveness was, of course, the relationship between the organisation of power in the towns and power over the towns. That is, if you like, the relationship between central and local government. And we know, uh, uh, for example, this is a very contested issue. For example, in the 1550s, uh, Drogheda uh, prohibits the state uh, from using its town hall for, you, for holding the assizes uh, on the grounds that the town hall is for the town and not for the state. And of course the tensions between the state uh, and uh, the towns were to grow very significantly in the early 17th century, particularly after the revolt of the towns and the new charters uh, which were granted uh, after 1607. Now the town hall, which was the symbol uh, of this world, of the Commonwealth uh, and of the Charter, was, of course, a, a functionally very complex uh, uh, thing. Uh, it goes by a number of names, which again reflects how uh, uh, functionally complex it was. Um, it's sometimes called a guild hall, it's sometimes called a thosal, it's sometimes called a town hall, sometimes it's even just called a market house, uh, even though it does have other functions as well. And this reflects the very wide range of functions which a town hall had. Most obviously it's a meeting place, not just for the corporation, but also for guilds. Uh, it's also a place uh, where the evidence... Uh, uh, for the uh, maintenance uh, of the corporate rights, i.e. the charters, are stored. It's a place where courts are kept, the mayoral courts, the courts of the 100, for example. It's a place where the market house, uh, where the markets are held, and the town hall is usually the centre, also the market house. Often there's a prison. Um, uh, uh, in the case of Galway in 1660, it said the old town hall uh, was located over the jail and the abattoir. So there are all sorts of things going on around the town hall. And most importantly, it's a public space. Uh, it's a public space where notices uh, were posted in the Thosel uh, for people to read. Uh, it's a public space where people assembled uh, and where there were public facilities such as a bell uh, and a clock uh, for drawing people together. Now, within that framework, hence there is a, a, a complex framework uh, working within the building and therefore the building itself is functionally very complex uh, it, there can be a very wide range uh, of different types uh, of town halls uh, at uh, its very simplest uh, this is the, the Thosel in, in Carlingford, uh, the name doesn't get to be applied uh, to this to the 18th century but I think there's good reason to believe that it does go back uh, you'll see there's a gate uh, up here, there's a single cell, single chamber room, uh, and that's it. It's simply a room uh, for people to meet in. It was later used uh, as a prison. Um, these towns in the north in the 16th century uh, usually have very simple uh, town halls reflecting the rather limited power of government. Uh, this is Carrick Fergus. Uh, Carrick Fergus, we know the corporation seemed to meet in the parish church. Uh, uh, initially, certainly in the 1570s, uh, but uh, by the 1580s, they had renovated uh, what they called uh, Castle Water, which is basically uh, a tower house, uh, and when they seem to have used the first floor of that, again, simply as an open space uh, for meeting. Kell seems to have been rather similar to that in the 1660s. It's described as an old town hall, it's described as an old tower house, which has been repaired. That's, if you like, the, 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 the simple uh, end of the spectrum. Uh, moving to the more complicated end of the spectrum, we have uh, Dublin, 
uh, or indeed Kilkenny. Uh, according to a 1511 description, uh, Kilkenny uh, has, uh, the town on Kilkenny, has at least two large assembly rooms called the Great and the Little Solar. Uh, uh, and clearly there is uh, more than one group meeting here. So there's uh, quite a lot going on within the town hall. Uh, in Dublin, there's even more going on. Uh, uh, we have references, again, to a prison uh, beside it. Uh, we have references to open spaces underneath where notices uh, are put up. And where Royal Arms and the Civic Arms are also displayed, there is a note uh, in the uh, uh, corporation uh, in the corporation records uh, suggesting that in uh, Dublin, uh, the civic arms, the arms of Dublin, were painted on the door of the Thosa under the royal arms. Uh, and uh, there's also a very intriguing reference, which I know no more, uh, that the legend of Dublin was painted inside the town hall. So we must imagine some sort of mural uh, uh, describing uh, the, the, the city. So the town hall, therefore, I, I would uh, argue in the uh, 16th century, in this uh, very uh, traditional uh, world, uh, symbolised uh, in as a very physical way the, the, the commonwealth um, of the town. Uh, they are, in the main, uh, very, very substantial uh, structures, uh, reflecting, again, that the local community was prepared to invest substantial sums of money in it. Now, in the first 40 years of the 17th century, by contrast, the, the relatively small uh, network of chartered towns, mainly in the south and east, was expanded directly uh, as when James I uh, created uh, some 46 uh, new towns and his son Charles uh, one more. Now the reasons for this are very well known. Uh, part of it is uh, new areas being brought into uh, royal authority through plantation in the north and in Wexford um, and the necessary expansion of town for economic reasons but most importantly the 1613 parliament uh, needed to create uh, uh, members in order to ensure parliament got the right result and borough representation had to be expanded accordingly. Now what's significant about these charters uh, in comparison with the charters of the older corporations, uh, is that they were acts of central government. They were the whim of central government. Whereas the older charters, well, particularly when they were renewed in the 16th century, were renewed at the request of the local town, of the local commonwealth. These are actually devised, uh, devised from the top. Um, so therefore, what these things create uh, is, if you like, a much weaker organisation. There is uh, no local community. Uh, in order to create, uh, to give life uh, to the chartered borough. Uh, as a result, uh, local senses uh, of identity built around charters were at least very little developed. And also, as a second reason, uh, there was, of course, uh, very little money. Now, the result was that some of these uh, towns, these chartered towns of the early 17th century, never developed town halls at all. Trum is a very good example. It doesn't develop anything until the 1720s. There are particular reasons for Chum. Uh, that, that, that is, the landlord, uh, the archbishop, uh, kept the corporation in a very tight rein and wasn't prepared to let it do anything, really, so it restricted it from doing this sort of stuff. And, indeed, where these uh, towns do build uh, uh, town halls, they are usually very late. Um, the uh, most obvious example of this is Belfast, which is 1640, before we know a room is fitted out and the mace is bought, uh, 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 simply because... The corporation before that seems to have operated in a very ad hoc fashion. 
Uh, and also simply there wasn't money to do this. Uh, fall, falling into the same category, Longford, Sligo, Ennis, uh, uh, again, there is no evidence of town halls here. Although we do know that central government uh, revamped medieval buildings uh, uh, as a size houses, and a corporation may well have met there. But Gannon, for example, is also in these things. Now, these towns, these, uh, towns are of rather different town halls have a rather different shape and a rather different quality. Uh, they're functionally much simpler, uh, and they, whereas the early 17th century buildings in most of these towns seem to be of stone, uh, the uh, uh, buildings from the uh, this early 17th century phase uh, tend to be uh, lath uh, or tend to be cage work timber. Okay? Uh, uh, one exception, uh, of course, to this uh, is, of course, dairy. Uh, and Derry, uh, because it has a central planner, uh, has a much more sophisticated structure here. This is as is planned, not as is built. Uh, as is built uh, is slightly different. Uh, but there you see a planner uh, creating uh, this uh, sort of thing. Now, uh, the uh, restoration in the 1660s uh, did not, on the whole, add an awful lot to the urban network uh, which was there. Charles I added 14 uh, new urban charters. Uh, and uh, this is a process of catching up of places that hadn't been there before. Um, but uh, towns and towns, these uh, towns which have been just established in the early 17th century, were now of some, of, of some size, uh, and they could begin to invest uh, in uh, displaying uh, themselves. Uh, so what you get is uh, one of the features of the years, I'll skip on quickly, the years after 1660, is a dramatic rebuilding uh, of the uh, town hall network. Some of this is necessary uh, because uh, war in the 1640s had destroyed old town halls. Uh, this is Limerick, uh, which was destroyed in the 50s uh, uh, and was rebuilt uh, in the 1660s, uh, uh, in 1664, uh, and again later in the century, Derry uh, destroyed in the siege and rebuilt in 1692. Um, now, but these aren't the only ones. Uh, towns do take the initiative themselves, even when they don't need to pay through it, even sometimes when it's, ruin, when it's potentially ruinous for the town. Galway, for example, in 1639, decided to rebuild a town hall. And this is the well-known picture map of the 1660s. And there it is there, still unfinished in the 1660s. Uh, hardly surprising because of the war. But in fact, it doesn't get finished until 1709. Uh, 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 ruinously expensive for the time, but something they thought was important to invest in. Now, it's not just these old corporate towns which do this, because Belfast, for example, does exactly the same thing. Uh, there it is there. Belfast uh, using, or if you like a happier picture, there it is there. Right? Uh, Belfast does it by harnessing mercantile wealth uh, by getting George McCartney uh, uh, to uh, acquire uh, a town. And of course, most dramatic of all, uh, Dublin. Uh, and that, of course, uh, is uh, the uh, view of Dublin by Francis, not by Francis Place, but by um, uh, Dinley. Now, why do they rebuild? Well, some of it, as I said, is by necessity. Uh, let me simply mention uh, one or, uh, the other reason, uh, and that is that somehow they want a more fashionable building. Uh, 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 for example, it's made very clear when Mullingar in 1682 is described uh, by Pierce, he talks about being built to the modern fashion. And if you remember, if you go back, all of these have classical features, which the early 17th century ones do not seem to have, for example. Again, they are functionally even more complex than they were before, whether in the, if you like, the world of 
medieval settlement or in the world of the uh, early 17th century settlement, uh, uh, which are relatively simple. These now become very complicated indeed. Uh, Galway has a common court, uh, a chamber for the uh, chamber for the mayor, a chamber for the common court, a chamber for the town clerk. Uh, and again, uh, Kinsale uh, has a separate jury room uh, for the town, and newsletters that are brought to Kinsale are left there so people can go in and read them. Dublin is the most complicated of all, of course, uh, and I won't say any more about that. But I think what this does suggest is that in the, in the late 17th century, you're actually seeing a very sophisticated uh, uh, form of building to represent local urban identities uh, going up, which is a merging of an old tradition and a newer tradition from the early 17th century, uh, which towns feel now they should invest in demonstrating local power and local influence. Thanks very much.